Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. This is a place where real women share real stories of real hope. Tonight's episode is the audio recording from one of our live Story Night events featuring Marina Bryant. If you'd like to watch the video version of the event, which includes all of the pre and post story announcements and such, the link is provided in the episode notes. For this audio version, we will skip over all of the introductions and icebreakers and prizes and pick up with the opening song performed by Kelly Lamantia. You still have no answers Have you been pouring out your heart for so many years? Have you been hoping That things would have changed by now? Have you cut all the faith that you have through so many tears? Don't forget the things that He has done before Remember, He can do it all once more It's like the brightest sunrise Waiting on the other side of the darkest night Don't ever lose hope, hold on, believe Maybe you just haven't seen it, just haven't seen it yet You're closer than you think you are Only moments from the break of dawn All His promises are just up ahead Maybe you just haven't seen it Just haven't seen it yet He has the solution Before you had the problem He sees the best in you When you feel at your worst So when the questioning Don't ever doubt His love for you it's only in His love you find a breakthrough It's like the brightest sunrise Waiting on the other side of the darkest night Don't ever lose hope, hold on and believe me You just haven't seen it, just haven't seen it yet You're closer than you think you are Only moments from the break of dawn All His promises are just up ahead Maybe you just haven't seen it, just haven't seen it yet He is moving with a love so deep Hallelujah for the victory Good things are coming even when we can't see We can't see it yet But we believe that He is moving with a love so deep Hallelujah for the victory Things are coming even when you can't see We can't see it yet But we believe It's like the brightest sunrise Waiting on the other side of the darkest night Don't ever lose hope, hold on and believe Maybe you just haven't seen it, just haven't seen it yet You're closer than you think you are Only moments from the break of dawn All His promises are just up ahead Maybe you just haven't seen it, just haven't seen it yet Maybe you just haven't seen it, just haven't seen it yet Amen. Thank you so much, Kelly. I love, love, love that song. And my, one of my favorite lyrics in there is that God had the solution before you had the problem. Well, we're about to dive into Marina's story, but before we do, just for a couple of minutes, we have a very special guest, Amy, and she's going to come up and tell us a little bit about our speaker. 
Hello. Oh, you are all just shadows from here. <laughs> my name is Amy Dill, and I am so excited to introduce my friend Marina to you tonight. I first met Marina eight years ago in a gathering much like this one, where she was sharing her experiences about working with the Bedouin tribes deep in the Middle East. I was so intrigued by her story about sharing God's love to women and children particularly, whose language she barely understood. I introduced myself after she spoke, we connected, and then she left for two years, back to the Middle East, doing what God had called her to do. And I stayed in touch online, I prayed for her, but I didn't get to see her for two years. Finally, she came back for another visit to get some rest, to recover and recuperate from time in the field, and to gather support to keep working overseas. We connected, we chatted, got to know each other a little bit more, and then she left again. We stayed in touch. I checked on her whenever God put her on my heart. I read her missionary updates, her newsletters. I prayed for her. I prayed for the people that she was serving, and I waited for a chance to see her again. Finally, in spring of 2018, I got to visit Israel with my church, Calvary Corvallis. And Marina met up with our group there. But since it was mostly college kids, younger than us, who knew each other, I got her all to myself. After the week was over on the last night, I wasn't ready to say goodbye. <laughs> so I convinced her to go out to dinner with me, and we walked the markets, and we walked the city streets, and all the stores were closed, and then it started raining. So we just stopped into the lobby of the hotel, and we talked longer. <laughs> And around one or two, my husband checked on me to make sure I was still alive in a foreign country. And, you know, we talked about a lot of things. We talked about Israel, where she was living. We talked about God, Christianity. I mean, there's a lot of religions in that area, Judaism, obviously, and Islam. And we talked about how serving overseas is lonely. Marina had people she was working with, but she did not have a family of her own there. And while God was her primary provider and her caretaker and her best friend, she was still lonely. And so I prayed. I came home. I prayed. I got to visit her again that year on a one-week just-me-and-her sightseeing tour in Israel, brought her care packages, and kept praying that God would provide someone for her. I think the rest of the story is going to be hers to share, so I don't want to give any more special secrets away. But I just want to say that God doesn't always answer right away. You know, God doesn't always answer how and when and what you want, but he does always answer. He is always listening, and he always answers. He cares about all of our needs. He's providing for them more than we know before we know he's even providing. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my amazing friend from Brazil and Israel and Europe and Chicago and Texas and a million other places she's lived, Marina Bryant. Good evening, ladies. Wow, so good to see you from here. My name is Marina Bryant, and it's a pleasure for me to be here tonight telling my story and the places I went and the things that happened to me and that throughout the years and sharing how God orchestrated everything and directed my plans are things that I love to do. I love to talk to, so bear with me. I'm honored to be here, and I'm honored to have you here, too. Thank you so much for taking your time and to, you know, hear some of my story. If you hear an accent, you got it. I'm not from here. I was born and raised in Brazil. If you hear me saying words in a funny way, it's probably, I will blame on my accent. And I make up words a lot, so if you don't understand a word, just like try to make words that look, that sound like it, and you're gonna get it. I grew up in Brazil in South America, and in a big city, my city today has probably like 2.5 million people, and it's called Curitiba, it's in the south. Lower class, you know, just normal people, loving family. Um, our family is part Italian, so we are very knit together. Oh, yeah, that's me in my mom's belly over there. <laughs> the second one is important. Look at this face. <laughs> look very well, and then tell me if my daughter doesn't look like me. And then the third one, look how cute. 
That's me with the beautiful red, whatever that was. <laughs> so, yeah, my parents are strong in their faith, and they raised us, my siblings and I, I have a brother and a sister, going to church. But they didn't want us to be only churchgoers. They wanted us to impact the world, impact the, the communities around us. They wanted us to be agents of transformation. So we grew up going to poor areas of the city and distributing food to the needy. And so that was part of what we would do normally. Our house was also always open for strangers and foreigners. Uh, my friends used to call my house the international gas house. So and every once in a while, they would just ask, like, who has been in the gas house lately? Knowing that they would hear some fun stories. And I loved that. And I loved the open doors policy that my, my family had. And I loved the cultural exchanges. And I loved that my parents were always open to receive whoever needed and whoever just got put in front of them. And, but that started building in me a desire of knowing different cultures and places and languages. And I was always fascinated when people would, you know, spend the night in our house and they were like, very different. So I wanted to travel the whole world. I was like, oh, I want to know. Like, mm. It's so fun to see what different ways of living. So I was very curious. I was always very shy. Like, you won't believe it. Like, really. I rarely talked about my dreams or the plans that I was planning for myself. Maybe because I was afraid of being ridiculed or judged or misunderstood. Because who am I to dream like that? Like, to, to have big dreams or... Or maybe because I was just too shy to say anything. So I never really shared, but that desire was always there. And growing up, I always accepted this shyness as my identity or my excuse. When I wanted to say something to somebody or ask someone for something, I would always wait to be the last person. So maybe somebody else had the same question. So I didn't have to like ask anything. So I was just like, okay, please, 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 somebody have the same. So inside of my mind, there was always a voice telling me, why are you trying to say something? Do you think your questions are relevant? You have nothing to say. And even if you say something, nobody will listen. You have nothing interesting to say. Nobody wants to listen to you. I let those words sink into my heart and was never a good speaker. Actually, speaking in front of people was like a nightmare. Those horrible near-death experiences are kind of a nightmare. When I look back and I see how much that paralyzed me and didn't allow me to live a more full, like the more fullness of life, I get sad. I let the lie tell me who I was and take the wheels of my decisions. And I wanted to say something to you tonight, ladies. Don't believe the lies. You matter. You have a voice. And God can use your words to change situations. People are waiting to hear from you. Your words are powerful. Don't let the lie of the enemy t tell you how to live. Don't hide. Don't believe it. Please know that you are important. Your identity is in who God says you are. And he says that you are loved. He says that you are important and you matter. And you can build up others with your words you were created with a purpose. You were not an accident. You were not a coincidence. You have a purpose to be where you are. You have a destiny, and God is waiting for you, cheering as you walk closer to him. So don't let the lies govern your lives. Okay? Okay, great. So back to my story. When I was 12 years old, I attended a conference. I love conferences. They're my favorite thing. And, but that one is, was kind of extra special because the, the pastor who was going to speak was American. 
like a real American. <laughs> I was in Brazil, so American was like a big deal, you know. And I was stoked. I was like, I love the, Eng the English language. So I always wanted to learn. And I was like, jump at every opportunity to, he to hear real English speakers speaking because, you know, it's different than Brazilians trying to, you know, speak English. But in the middle of the preaching, you know, it was like a big conference, like 500 people. And, and the pastor started to give specific people some words of prophecy. For those who are not familiar with that, sometimes God reveals to other people specific things about your life, your past, your present, your future, so you can be, you can be edified. So that night, a pastor brought a word to me, and he said that he saw me and my husband going around the world preaching the gospel. <laughs> He had no idea who I was. I was like, oh my gosh, to preach the gospel, you have to like actually speak in front of people, right? He, no, he, he has zero idea who I was. But I kept that in my heart because I was like, well, let's see what's going to happen. Something will change. And after that, after hearing that, I was like, ooh, so it means that I will make a career as a missionary. I will be like, I will, I'll get married really early and have lots of beautiful babies and um, travel around the world. I could envision that, like, oh, my, a bunch of kids in the middle of Africa somewhere, you know, like kids running around. And I was just like, yeah. But I knew that was not going to happen anytime soon. I was 12 at that point. <laughs> but what I didn't know was how long it was going to take until that happened. So my first trip out of Brazil was after college, 10 years later. I came to the U.S. that, you know, I didn't have another picture to... <laughs> to put there, so that's me. But, you know, it was in, um, when I first got here. In, I was living in Boston. That's Boston. For, whatever. So I lived there for a year, and then I moved to Southern California. If you cannot see, there's like Hollywood sign over there, like all the way up. Yeah. So I moved out, then I moved uh, to Virginia. because I was in the exchange program because I really wanted to learn English and I wanted to learn it really well and I didn't want to have an accent. I want to speak like an, an American. But that's probably not going to happen because, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and then at this point, the and your husband part of the prophecy seemed farther than it was many years prior. So I focused on the travel around the world part that looked a lot easier to accomplish. Again, I was in my late 20s. I was living in Brazil. I went back to Brazil, of course. And I started working for a company. So I was a businesswoman, and I started having stress-related issues. And I ended up in the hospital a few times. So I decided to pray to get a different job. I didn't just pray. I wrote down my prayer. And I was like, Lord, I... I need another job. Like, less stressful would be great. But, you know, and sometimes the Lord has, well, not sometimes, he, he has a very good uh, sense of humor. <laughs> and I was praying for a different job, and then exactly four days later, I got laid off. Then I was like, Lord, <laughs> you misunderstood. <laughs> It was not exactly that. I said, another job, no job less, you know. But not exactly what I had in mind, but exactly what needed to happen at that point. And then prior to that, because I was like travel around the world was like my theme now, I said, because it's always good to give God some ideas of how he can do things. 
So he said that I was going to travel. So I was like, I was going to make that happen. I was like, okay, Lord, let's make an, you know, an agreement here. I will work and then I will give my vacations and then I will go visit projects and I will, you know, give my, my vacation to the Lord and then just go visit other missionaries in other countries. So it's a great idea, isn't it? Wouldn't you agree? I would say amen to my own prayer. Yeah, the Lord was like, just yeah, keep on giving me some ideas. And then in that moment, I had my vacation was going to be in Mozambique because remember, I was going to make things happen. So I got laid off 10 days before my vacation. So it gave me more time to prepare for the trip. It was great. So I went to Mozambique. It was a dream come true at that point. We went to remote villages, we visited people in their homes, we experienced traditional food. It's like a mix of tapioca flour with rice and water and dried little fish <laughs> that we had to eat with our hands. A fun fact about Brazilians, we do not touch our food. <laughs> like, no. You know... You give us pizza, we need fork and knife because this is the proper way to eat pizza. Chicken wings, fork and knife. So that, that was my, yeah, that was a cultural shock to me, like eating. And it was not like something that you could easily get with your hands. You were like getting and then it was like, you know, like dripping all over. I was like, how do you guys do this? Like a spoon? Why didn't I put a spoon in my pocket? You know, like... Well, I didn't know that at the time. So uh, the bathrooms were a touristy place themselves. Just a hole in the ground, surrounded by some branches for privacy. You know, like that's, it, it didn't smell very good. Kids looked at me like I was an alien from another planet. Because my color of the lack of it might have made some cry and run away. <laughs> You know, that was the first time that most of them have seen a person so white like me. It was short to say that I had any kind of like cultural shock because like having to eat my food with my hands. But I definitely don't miss those short cold showers and the scorching heat. So that was for a month. And then since I was laid off before coming, before going to Mozambique, I didn't have to go back to Brazil. So I decided to go to Europe. I visited my aunt and spent some time there until I had a clear direction of what is next. So from Africa, I went to live with my aunt in the Netherlands for about three months. And then I moved to France for another five more months. So Netherlands became the country of my heart. I just absolutely love it there. I went there in the winter when it was cold and rainy. It reminds me a lot of here. So. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it was very charming, like the canals and like the rivers and all of the people riding their bikes. Is there something beautiful about Europe? I don't know. The museums, I could see my favorite painters. Um, it was great. I loved it. He was fabulous. So then I moved to France and I never really dream. It, it's rarely when I dream, like at all. And when I was living in France, I had a dream. And it, in that dream, I remember seeing like evergreen trees and a hill. But it was not like the dream itself, it was just like the impression that it left in me. And I felt like I was in a sort of a school, like a Bible college type of thing. Not that the dream could say anything, you know, it was just like evergreens in the hill. But I felt like there was something in that dream that I should pray about. So I caught a friend of mine in Brazil, and she prayed with me for about a week until a person from Calvary Chapel Corvallis that had gone to Brazil a few times came to my mind, and I was like, oh, they have a Bible school in their church, so maybe I should call her. So I wrote her like an email like this big because I didn't know like what to say. Oh, hi. I had a dream. <laughs> you know, that's not the kind of thing that you, you know, want to introduce yourself to. So I sent her 
a huge email and said that, you know, like, do you, do you guys still have that Bible school there? So they did. And uh, the Lord orchestrated every detail for me to come an entire year to study there. And he provided for all my needs at that time. Um, the director of the school was a pastor who had lived in Brazil. And he knew the financial reality there and offered me a scholarship. So that uh, alone was a huge thing for me to come under the scholarship. And at that time, the school administrator needed a roommate. (laughs) Jamie and I were the polar opposite of each other. You know that kind of friendship? You like A and the person likes Z. And you like blinders up, windows open, and she likes blinders down, windows closed. So she's one of the most extroverted persons I've ever met. And I, I was that kind of introvert. But her friendship transformed me. It challenged me, it blessed me, and blessed my life in so many ways. And, and I'm very thankful to God for those people in our lives, right? We are all thankful that those people, they help us grow and develop in areas that we were not very keen to to do. So I'm very thankful for that. At the end of the year, all the students that were studying with me in the, the Bible school, they were saying all about what they were going to do, the work that they were going to do after, and all of the ways that the, the Lord was opening doors for them, and all that I heard was the silence. I knew I couldn't stay longer in the U.S. because I didn't have a visa. I could go back to Brazil, but deep inside I knew there was something else, and I was trying to figure out what that something else was. During the school, the Bible school, we had some house churches or study groups with the international students from the, the university, the OSU, that they were interested in knowing more about God and Christianity. They sign up a little piece of paper and say that they're interested in hearing more. So my group had all Chinese students. I understand that the Lord placed me there to hear and see that people still today don't have any access to the gospel. Those students were astonished to know that there was a God who created the universe. They have never heard of that. I had encountered a lot of people that refused to believe in God, who reject the gospel of Jesus, but that was the first time that I saw a group of people that have never heard of God or Jesus. And that was what they call the unreached people groups. And we studied that in in the Bible school, but it was the first time I was introduced to them, and they were so close. So I was like, wow, that's very interesting. So a few more weeks passed, and one morning, then I thought that I was supposed to go to China. I was planning all of my trip to China, and I I thought, you know, the Lord was sending me that. So I was like, one Sunday, I was in, in the church there, and I was praying. I was like, Lord, I, I would go, you know, like, I, I don't really have to, you don't really have to accept my plans. You know, and I'm, I'm willing to go if you want to send me to a different place. In my mind, I was thinking, not the plans that I have, you know, prepared, but another city in China. So... That was on Sunday, and then on Monday morning, I woke up with a deep desire in my heart to go to Israel. I know, it's weird. That's what I thought, too. I never wanted to go. That was not in my plan. I had, you know, lists of places I wanted to visit. Israel wasn't there. But that... That morning, it was almost like my soul was yearning to be there. It was like that deep desire to go there. And then I did what I, you know, what I knew. I prayed about it. And uh, here I go again. I gave God some ideas of how he could take me to Israel, right? Because it worked, clearly. So 
I was like, Lord, you know, there are some groups going to Israel, and now they they're gonna do the 15-day tourist places, you know, like just going around. And I was like, that's perfect, isn't it? Going to Israel and then, you know, with my friends, maybe, you know, another church, maybe something else. I even ventured to say, you know, I could go for maybe a little more than 15 days. You never know, you know. But I try, you know. I, I give my best ideas. I, I don't know why he says no. <laughs> Dating myself a little bit here. Remember when people lived in caves, their phones would beep when the battery was running out? So my phone was beeping like that. And then I was like, oh, before the battery would run out, God forbid, you know, I, would, I decided to check what it was. So it showed that I had an email from a friend of mine who was a missionary. And the title of the email Remember, I had just woke up and prayed about going to Israel. And then the title of the email was Israel. And then I was like, oh, no. Lord, I was kidding. That's not true. Um, but it was too late. So I decided to, I decided to uh, open the email and see what it was. And then it was an opportunity to go work with an unreached people group in, in Israel called Bedouins. I knew nothing about them. In fact, I Googled it to see if they were not the monkeys. <laughs> but they were not. Google showed me beautiful pictures of a tribal ethnic group in the middle of the desert. And he also showed me some of what they do and the instruments and the art. And, but what Google didn't show me was that the group that I was going to work with had nothing like that. After reading the email, I was scared at first because, you know, they're asking you to move to Israel, and I knew nothing about it. So I'm not going to lie, a few, thing, a few times I thought I was going crazy about, you know, going there. Or, but I decided to go anyways. I knew that that was the door that I was praying for. So I, a month and a half later, I was landing there. And I was like, there's no going back. I just got here. Okay, let's do this. So when I got out of the plane, just before getting, passing through the security in the airport, I felt this like wave of peace just coming over me. And I heard a voice that, say, that said, welcome home. And that feeling of being home never left me. I knew, you know, hard times are going to come. But that, that was what I needed. So I held on to it, and now I was like, okay, let's do it. But the opportunity was about to manage a bilingual pre-K and kindergarten, bilingual, quotes, because they didn't speak any English, I didn't speak any Arabic. To be honest, I couldn't even hear the difference between people when they spoke Arabic, when they spoke Hebrew, that's the national language. As you can imagine, it was awesome. As soon as I got there, I found, you know, I knew that our work was way more than just those 21 little kids in the kindergarten. I, I wish I could show you the land so you can understand. I mean, there is a, a picture that I will show later. So when I, I got there, I had no idea about the Bedouins and who they were, what they believed in. I had no idea how they, you know, what was important for them. And as the time passed, I got, I got to know more and it was just me and another friend working there. Her name is Sarah. She was my, my work partner. So we were introduced to this whole new world. Don't get me wrong. Israel is a beautiful country. You can find forests. You can find deserts. You can find high mountains. You can find snow. You can find everything in this little piece of land. 
But in, in, you know, there's a lot of history, but also a lot of modernity. And the country, the country itself, it's a marvelous place, and it's safe, and it, you can freely live and express your beliefs. But the Bedouins are a group apart from the society. And they are used to be the traders, you know, like the, the travelers who would bring goods from one part of the country, one part of the world to the other, crossing deserts, like nomad kind of lifestyle. Um, but in Israel, they had to settle. And they settle in closed communities, and they are pretty much against strangers or foreigners in their land. But for some reason, they welcomed us and our work, and they asked us to work with their children. And I'm going to show a few pictures. That's the kindergarten. Um, the, so that was the first, the first year that we were there. That's me. And that's a very you know, excited person about a camel. Um, <laughs> uh, it was the first time I, you know, rode a camel before, so it's, it's just like, woohoo, yeah. And that's like what the kids had to travel to go to our, um, to our kindergarten, so they were like going home after. They, was, they used to come and go alone, and they were like from three to six years old. Oh, this is the kindergarten in the outside where they used to play, as you can see, it's all sand, like desert, desert, you know. And then the graduation of the first class. So we saw that our project expanded. So we started having the women's coming also, then expanded again to kids that were already in school. So those are first to fifth graders. And then uh, expanded again. And then we, we did the distribution of food and clothing because they are very poor. And then expanded again for a youth group, so from 12 to 14 years old. So when I left the project five and a half years later, oh, yeah, you know, a little more than 15 days, <laughs> we had like courses, we have a project for women, courses, visits, food and clothing distribution, arts and crafts, and even like a side, we had a discipleship for a few women that were interested. And for the children, we had the homework club for kids that were in, in school already from 6 to 12 years old, and then meetings with the youth. And I'm very proud of the work that is going on there, but none of that was my idea. Uh, we're just there, and then the Lord just opened the doors, and we just entered. And we saw a lot of transformation in their lives, and it was, it was just like those... Um, Years changed my life. Almost 10 years passed since I first arrived there, and my life was changed forever. I do travel a lot. I went to many countries. I actually went around the world a few times. That part of the prophecy was fulfilled, but there was still a part missing. My husband. <laughs> I was in my mid-30s already. I have traveled around the world and not found a husband. My mom used to say that the Lord was hiding him somewhere. <laughs> I was starting to think that he was like a caveman or something, you know. Most of the time I was just didn't think about it because there was nothing much I could do. And I was living my life with Jesus and searching in him the answers for my needs. 2019 came and I couldn't renew my visa to Israel anymore. So at this point I had stayed for five and a half years. So I decided to look for another place to work. Since I was familiar with Bedouin culture, I decided to look in Jordan, that's the neighboring country. And there I met a couple that had the same vision and they were working with Bedouins too, what is very rare to happen. Uh, there are very few people in the world that work with Bedouins. So we instantly connected. And Jordan is much like the Arab parts of Israel. So the capital, Amman, has 9 million people living in it. But again, the projects were Bedouins, and they, they're also, they lived in closed communities in the desert. This couple has projects with villages, different Bedouin villages in different parts of uh, Jordan, and we started a partnership. 
They work with public schools offering sports class, language courses, soccer teams. And God willing, we will open a medical clinic in one of the parts of the country that desperate needs it. Today, I still work with them, but in a different capacity, of course. I can, since I can physically be there. I help fundraise for their work and then mentor, counsel, I'm a friend to the leaders of the work. So it's been an honor to be part of it. So while I was there, uh, my friend Amy <laughs> wrote me and asked me if I wanted to fly to the U.S. during Christmas. They had extra air miles and they wanted me if, you know, if they could use to, to buy tickets. And obviously the answer was yes. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pass the opportunity of, you know, somebody fly me. So I got here December 2019. That's when I met Zach, right after Christmas. Zach's not my husband, but our beginning was very bumpy because I wasn't prepared for it. For me, it was hate at first sight. For him, it was love at first sight. Let me explain. The afternoon I arrived in Portland, I had like 20 plus hours of flights and airports, after hours of feeling cold, feeling hot, feeling cold, feeling hot. And then I was uncombed, makeup expired, you know, like I was dressed comfortably. Amy went to pick me up at the airport, and on our way down to Corvallis, she told me that there's a friend of her husband in their studio, because they make music together, so they, you know, he was there. And I naively thought that we wouldn't even see them, so, you know, the night would be short and sweet. When I got to their place, they introduced me to their friend. Marina, this is Zach, they said. I looked at him and my mind stopped for a second. It re my mind re was rewinded to the prior Christmas when Amy went to visit me in Israel and showed me a picture of a man she thought I would like. I remember saying that I wasn't interested because he lived in the US, I lived in the Middle East. And I wasn't planning on going back to America anytime soon and I'm sure he wasn't planning on moving to the Middle East, so. I just said, no, thank you, and continued my life like nothing happened until I saw him. And I was like, I cannot believe what's going on right now. I just couldn't believe that Amy was setting me up, you know, like, <laughs> right now? I'm all, like, I'm going to stay for a month, and like, today is the day that you're going to present me to a guy? Like, no. So I was mad. I was not happy, but you know, I had to keep my cool. But I didn't know that she had invited him for dinner that night and breakfast the next morning. So I was, you know, at this point, I didn't want to see that poor guy, let alone talk to him, but God. Partnering with Amy and Jesse Dill had different plans. Long story short, we decided to give love, I decided to give love a chance because there was nothing in Zach that raised any red flags, for instance here. You, you know, like when we are young, we, made, we make lists of things that we want in our husband. And I, when I was like young, you know, in my 1920s, I was even like, oh, I want him to wear those kind of clothes. You know, like... <laughs> Very detailed. But throughout the years, the list gets short. short. You know, it's just like, I can't, you know, who cares about the clothes, you know? Um, so until I, it got shorter and shorter until I got to like the no negotiables, you know, like, he has to be older than me, taller than me, and love the Lord. It's not that difficult, is it? Well, Zach checked all of my three requirements, <laughs> but there was something special. You won't believe it. He's left-handed. <laughs> I love left-handed people. 
I always wanted to be left-handed. So I gave him a chance. And we started a friendship. Well, we, at, this, at this point, we both knew that we were not teenagers anymore. And we knew that uh, what we didn't want in a person, and we, know, we knew what we, need, we wanted, so we're like, so we started dating, but we knew that we were gonna get married. And uh, we prepared for it. Uh, as soon as we started dating, he came with a book for us to read together. 101 questions to ask before you get engaged. <laughs> I knew he was serious. <laughs> Our friendship grew, our admiration for each other, to spend hours on the phone, especially when I was in Brazil. I went back to Brazil after, you know. We started dating and then I left. Oh, that's great. So we told our stories, our mistakes, our failures, our errors. So we could know each other the best way we could. So we both knew that we were not playing. We were serious about our relationship and our future. And during this time, I saw like his sense of humor, how he cares for me, and his gentle heart. And until today, you know, she opens the door, the, the door of the car for me, and he's very caring, and he thinks of my well-being all the time. And one of the first questions that I asked when I started dating was, "Would you have kids with me?" Because I always wanted to be a mom, but I needed a willing father. He said he wasn't, he hasn't thought about that, having kids anymore. So the backstory, Zach was married before and his ex-wife walked away from the marriage and took the kids. He has two. And she does everything she can to keep the kids out of the picture. So he never really thought about having kids anymore. But he said that he wanted to have a family with me, so yes. So we got married, August 1st, 2020, mid-pandemic. Crazy times for people, best time of our lives. <laughs> we knew that we wanted to have kids, but it was a long and sometimes disheartening process until the Lord sent us our daughter. Every month that I had my period, I felt like a defeat. I'm not in my 20s anymore. The clock is ticking, and I only have a couple more years until I'm in my 40s. So every month I wasn't pregnant, I tried not to panic. So we decided to go and search for help. We did all of the exams needed to start a program for infertility. And not until the last task, the last result of the last exam that I had to do, I found out that I was pregnant. And, you know, Yay, I'll take it. Uh, but since I was old, like a grandma being pregnant, you know, the doctor suggested that I would take the genetic test to make sure that the baby was genetically okay, if you can say that. Um, so Zach and I decided to take the test for one only reason. We could discover the gender with just nine weeks of pregnancy. Yes, we are that kind of people. We are very curious, like, yes, the earliest, the better. But not long after the exam, the doctors called us and told that they found something wrong in the genetic test, and my baby would have a genetic modification in the DNA. Instead of, like, duos of DNA, they found, like, trios of every chromosome. So they said that she probably would not make it. And then there was always like, oh, maybe we should do another test, and then, then you guys can choose what to do with this fetus, you know. And Zach wanted to throw a chair at the doctors at this point. But the world, you know, crashed with the news. The more we read about it, the more devastated we got. Um, for a week or two, we couldn't even think about that without crying. But at that moment, when everything seemed so uncertain, we did what we knew. We prayed. We prayed saying that we trusted God and His ways, and we were giving 
our baby to him to do whatever he wanted because this baby was his even before she was ours. And he loves our baby way much more than we would ever do. So they transferred me, my, my care, to the maternal fetal center in Eugene because there's nothing they could do for me in Corvallis. So several weeks went by and many tests and ultrasounds and they would never tell us, oh, everything is okay or nothing. They would, uh, they would say, maybe next ultrasound we can, um, it can show something more revealing or like we can see better. Or there was always like next ultrasound. And during this time, times like this, we can do only two things. We, get, we can get desperate and blame God. We can blame our spouse. We can blame ourselves for what is wrong. Or we can get even closer in our relationship with our spouse and with God and go through those things together. And Zach and I chose to do the second option. More than ever, we prayed for each other and for our marriage and for our family we cling to the Lord of all creation who we knew loves us and has good plans for us. He was going to be with us during this storm. And in the midst of all of this uncertainty with the baby in my belly, we felt strongly from the Lord that we should go and visit Jordan. I was, I'm still working with the project in the Middle East, right? So we did. It wasn't like an easy thing to do because they said that um, normally miscarriages with that condition happen at week 17. And can you guess how many weeks I was going to be when we were to Jordan? Yes, 17. So we asked doctors about going and they said that normally, for normal people, it would be okay, it would be a good time for, to fly but I was high risk. We decided to go anyways because our lives were always a leap of faith and this time wasn't going to be different. So we went. We spent two weeks last summer visiting the Bedouins and our friends hearing their stories, getting to know them, getting to see the, the project even better. And then my friend, who is the wife of the leader, she was also pregnant at that that time. So she asked me, like, do you want to go to my OBGYN? So, you know, you could do an ultrasound here and just check. I was like, yes, yes, let's do this. So I went and I didn't say a word to the doctor what was going to happen, what was going on. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to wait for to hear from her. If she sees something that people cannot see in America, she would tell me. So she started the ultrasound and like showed me the baby and she showed the arms and the feet and counted the fingers and counted the toes and looked at every organ that she could. And she was like, it looks great. And without hesitating, she told me that I was expecting a girl. What, you know, at the time we didn't know. So that's the day that we discovered. And, and she didn't say anything about nothing. She was just like happy and like, telling me all about the baby, and I was like, I can finally breathe. The relief that we felt and the joy for having a baby girl came to us like a wave and washed away all the doubts. Even though they didn't release me from high-risk pregnancy until the week 28 back in America, it was okay because we knew baby was safe. Abigail, meaning the joy of the father, came into the world on December 16th of 2022, bringing much joy to the mother too. She's our miracle baby. She's the dream come true in my life. Zach and Abby are the fulfillment of a promise in my life that was spoken over me 20 years ago. The journey wasn't easy, wasn't at all predictable, but it was worth the wait. My family is worth every minute of every year that I had to wait. Sometimes it seems like promises in our lives are late and they might even not, not even happen. Sometimes we decide to give up our dreams because they seem so unattainable. 
Sometimes we choose to let precious things go because we are not willing to wait. After all, who likes to wait? But every minute is worth it when you are waiting for God's promises. Only God knows what he has in store for me and my family in the future, but we are willing to hear, wait, and obey. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing this. So we actually started this whole process where she was going to just do a podcast episode with me and we recorded on Zoom and the audio wasn't working really well and she got, I don't know, halfway through and I was like, you're within driving distance of McMinnville. <laughs> How do you feel about doing this on stage? And I'm so glad you said yes. Me too. Well, ladies, let's give Marina another quick round of applause. We always like to close with a song, and this is a song for, for each of you and for all of your stories. Some of you may have heard it on the radio before. It's, it seems like it was written for Story Night. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy the lyrics. Pages in this book, words that tell me I'm no good, chapters that define me for so long. Hands of grace and endless love dusted off and picked me up, told me that my hope is never gone. God is in this story. God is in the details Even in the broken parts He holds my heart He never fails When I'm at my weakest I will trust in Jesus Always in the highs and lows The one who goes before me God is in this story If the storm you're walking through Feels like it's too much And you wonder if he even cares at all Hold on tight to what you know He promised he won't let you go A song of healing's written in his scars God is in his story details even in the broken parts he holds my heart he never fails when i'm at my weakest i will trust in jesus always in the highs and lows the one who goes before me He's a healer of all things If it reads like depression If it reads broken home He's the one who holds your sorrow He won't leave you here alone God is in this story God is in the details Even in the broken parts my heart, he never fails when I'm at my weakest. I will trust in Jesus, always in the highs and lows. The one who goes before me, always in the highs and lows. The one who goes before me, God is in this story. in your story
I love that song. If you haven't heard that song before, I hope you were just beyond blessed. It really does feel like the Story Night theme song. Now, before everyone leaves, I wanted to thank you all for being here and just reiterate how important stories are. You're not alone in your story. Your story matters. Let me pray for all of your stories. Father, we're so thankful uh, for the stories you write. We're thankful for a chance to share them, for all the ladies that could be here tonight, for all the ladies who are watching online, for all the ladies who will listen to this on the podcast sometime. And we know that you are in the stories. You're in the details, even in the highs and lows, even in the broken parts, you hold our hearts. Whatever is going on in the stories that are in this room or those tuning in, we surrender that to you. And I want to just boldly ask that you work an amazing miracle in whatever those, those stories are. Thank you for the stories. I pray this in your name. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.